Everybody, thank you for listening to the Pentecostals of Louisville podcast today. This is taken from our most recent service. If you find it to be a blessing, would you share it with somebody that you know would be blessed by it as well? You can find us on Facebook if you simply type in the Pentecostals of Louisville and on Instagram if you type in the same. Our service times are Sunday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And if you've never joined us in person for service before, we'd love to see you there. God bless you. like our God. Amen. Amen. Get your Bibles, if you would, today. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5 and verse number 1. Mark chapter 5 and verse number 1. Amen. There is no one like our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I kind of I kind of can feel what the writer said or how he felt when the words were penned, what is what is man that thou art mindful of him. But he loved us. Amen. Divinity sought to put itself in harm's way and come live among humanity. The Creator lived in the realm of creation. Amen. So that you and I could know what freedom is. You and I could know what what love really is. And that we can experience grace and mercy far beyond what we can produce on our own far beyond what we could or what that what we would ever deserve that's the kind of God that we serve today and I'm thankful that he saved me amen I'm thankful that I had an encounter with him I I've gotten over lots of things that have happened in my past but I don't ever want to get over the day amen that I repented over my sins and was baptized in the name of Jesus and received the gift of the Holy Ghost I don't ever want to get over that I don't ever want to lose that feeling amen and I know that we don't go back and rehearse the past and you can't find your future with your past as your next door neighbor. We understand all of that. Amen. But, but sometimes it is prudent for us to remember what God has done in our life. Amen. And that's just not giving us good things. That's saving us from some bad things. Amen. That's not just given to me, but sometimes he had to take from me. Amen. When I begin to rehearse things the Lord has brought to pass in my life. Amen. It just reminds me again of where I would be without the Lord. I wouldn't be here. I don't know where I would be. I'd like to think I'd be a good man, that I would 
be a great husband and, and I'd be handling my business with, with integrity and all of, all of those things. Because a lot of people strive to do that without ever, without ever coming to church. Amen. But I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be saved. Amen. And my heart wouldn't be turned unto the Lord. Amen. I wouldn't be right with God. And if the trump sound tonight, amen, I wouldn't be ready to go. Amen. But God's done some great things in my life. Has he done some great things in your life? Come on, don't ever get over being saved. Don't ever take it for granted. We didn't deserve any of it. We still don't deserve any of it. You'll never get good enough to say that you deserved any of it. I'm thankful today. I'm thankful for God's grace and God's mercy. Thankful for his delivering power. We're going to preach a little bit about that this morning, this afternoon, on God's delivering power. Mark chapter 5 and verse number 1. And they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. Now you'll find out that they were in a major storm. Time won't permit us to give the full context of this, but the Lord had just stepped out on the sea and he had spoke to the winds and the waves and they obeyed and they the disciples, the apostles have said unto themselves, what manner of man is this that he can speak unto the natural world and they obey him. We pick it up in verse 2. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, not with chains. Because he had been bound often with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters were broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him, and always night and day, always, no relief, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. He was in torment. He needed deliverance. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran in his broken condition and worshipped him cried with a loud voice and said what have I to do with thee Jesus thou son of the most high God at that moment the man was no longer speaking but the spirit the demonic forces inside of him were now speaking unto Jesus thou son of the most high God I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not for he said unto him come out of the man thou unclean spirit and he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nine of the mountains, a great herd of swine feeding, probably, I think, a little over 2,000. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came unto Jesus and he see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. I want to preach to you a little bit this morning about the uh, delivering power of the Lord, how he delivered you and how he delivered me. Amen. And how he wants to deliver those in this place that may have some shackles and some chains on you. I want to preach to you from this subject entitled, No More Strings on Me. 
no more strings on me. Let's ask the Lord to have his way in this place. Lord, we ask that you would have your complete will in this house. We felt your presence. We've ushered that in by magnifying your name. We need your complete will done in the remainder of this service, Lord. Let your anointing fall fresh upon us this morning. Let every ear be anointed to hear what the Spirit and what your Word would have to say. Lord, you've come to uplift and you've come to strengthen. But you've come to break fetters today. You've come to break chains today, Lord. We thank you for what you've done and the chains that you've already broken. But we know there's a greater work for you to do in this house. And everybody say in Jesus' name, amen. Before we're seated, can we put our hands together and give the Lord a little praise? Praise Him for breaking the chains. Praise Him for setting you free. Oh. Praise Him for giving you the victory. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Just don't sit down. No more strings on me. Doing some reading recently and a little bit of uh, research, um, I was saddened to learn about a terrible trend in society. I've known it's been going on some time, but I haven't really focused on it or tried to learn a lot about it. But this, this trend that has been going on now for probably 10 or 15 years of in the area of self-injury or self-mutilation, which some are beginning to call an epidemic among young people. It, 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 it happens in adults, but it's somewhere between 1 and 4% of those adults that self-injury or self-harm. Uh, but among teenagers, they believe it's closer to 15%. Let me make a visual out of that. If we had 100 young people lined up across this platform this morning, at least 15 of those young people would be involved in some kind of self-harm or self-mutilation. One example is the practice of cutting oneself, usually on the arm, but sometimes on the chest, the stomach, or other various parts of the body. It's estimated that as many as 3 to 4 million people in the United States, mostly young women, engage in the practice of cutting themselves in an effort to relieve anxiety or to deal with low self-esteem or depression or something that happened in their life that triggered them, that has caused them emotional pain and discomfort. In truth, cutting is no different than the needle. It's no different than the bottle. It's no different than promiscuity and all of the other addictive behaviors that people resort to when they're hurting or they're overwhelmed. And a lot of cutters just happen to be teenage girls, but it also impacts young women such as Maria. She's a 30-year-old pre-med student who lives in New York City. She sits in an isolated stairwell of her apartment building, and she cuts her arm with a razor blade often, and then she cleans up after herself so no one will be able to see what she's doing. The therapist who is working with Maria describes it this way. Self-mutilation is cutting yourself or 
burning yourself or lacerating your skin. It's attacking your skin and your senses in a, a variety of ways to perceive the pain and to feel the pain involved because the pain involved and the blood that is seen distracts from the deep emotional hurt that they're feeling. And so they're trying to cover that up with the sensation of physical pain. And we're not talking about people who have healthy, intact relations to other people that are in a great place. But we're talking about people who feel profoundly lonely and isolated and separate from the rest of the world and even from those that really love them. And it's heartbreaking to think about young women and young men who are burdened with such an internal pain that the only release they feel they can find is with harming themselves. And But then we look at our scripture text and it, it points us in the direction of the man in our scripture text who was consumed with pain, inner turmoil and who cut himself the Bible said and abused himself until he encountered the one who could bring healing to his soul and freedom from the shackles that had held him down and in our text we read in verse 1 they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit he was possessed of an unclean spirit uh, and he was out of his right mind. And the Bible says uh, that he made his dwelling among the tombs. Uh, he was living among the dead. He was, his dwelling was in the dead places uh, of life. Uh, we would like to point an accusing finger at this gentleman and say, I can't believe uh, that he would find comfort of living uh, in a dead place uh, among dead people and dead things. Uh, but as you gaze over over the landscape of our society it's easy to see even today that people are still going to dead places. They're looking for life in all of the wrong places. They're looking for love and acceptance in all of the wrong places. And this man had been a citizen of Gadara but he made his dwelling among the dead. And even today there are folks under the sound of my voice that you're making your dwelling among the dead, among the past, among the the water that is crossed uh, or crossed under the bridge of your life. You find yourself dealing with skeletons in the closet and the weight of guilt and condemnation that is relentless, relentlessly trying to wear you out. You can find them dwelling outside the church, but unfortunately there are those that will sit on a church pew and they've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. They've been called out of every chain. They have been called out of every fetter. But yet they find themselves still living among the dead stuff. Can I pause here for a moment and say it's not enough to have the chain broke if you're still going to live in dead places. It's not enough to have God move in your life if you're not willing to make the decision. I got to leave the dead places and I got to go to where life is. Some come to church and everything on the outside looks okay and in order. But on the inside there's chaos, there's pain, there's hurt. Uh, there's a war that is raging that they've yet to conquer, they've yet to win. Uh, the chain is flopping in the breeze and they can bring their hands together and they can muster an occasional hallelujah and thank you Jesus. Uh, but when they leave here they go back to a dead situation. Uh, they go back to dead friendships. Uh, they go back to dead things that don't give them life. 
but only take life from them. Don't leave this house of life and go back and dwell among the dead. It's not God's will for you to be shackled continuously by depression and oppression, consumed by lust and addictions that lurk in dead places and dead things. You don't have to dwell among the lying and the jealousy and the envy and the strife. You don't have to be found in all of the dead stuff. But he's come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. It's time for you to get out of the dead things. Oh, sadly, there are those that that even are underneath the roof of a church this morning that are being tormented tormented day and night with the stones of discontentment that man cut his wrist crying in the tombs and in the mountains always day and night there are those here that cry silent tears on the inside nobody can see the pain that they're facing or dealing with but I've come to tell you that God knows and God sees and he's a friend that sticketh closer than any brother he can remedy it I said he can remedy the pain and the hurt he can take all the variables and put them in the right order he can get your ducks in a row when nobody else can my God can pick up the broken pieces of your life and put it back together again people are bound emotionally and psychologically and their spiritual chains from their past there's spirits and things that have attached themselves to them and they're haunted by past defeats and the devil has placed a stronghold on their mind and in their mind and they, they're starting to believe that this is just the way it's supposed to be. They're simply bound. They need deliverance. There are those here today that you need deliverance. Perhaps the chain has been broken, uh, but you need to be delivered from going back to dead places. Uh, the issue was this man was only partly free. Uh, he had broken the chains. He had done everything that he knew how to do at that point, uh, but there was still some other freedom that he needed. Uh, the issue, this demoniac uh, was partly free. And even though he was physically dragging those shackles uh, and you could hear them clink and clank as he walked by he was still bound by a spirit he had started working on the fruit of the problem but he hadn't started dealing with the root of the problem can I keep it real here just for a moment today you can't be spiritually free while you choose to live and reside among dead things he had broke some chains, but he was still bound by the places. He was becoming undone by where he chose to reside and chose to live. A few broken... Broken strings does not mean that you are totally free. Reminds me of a children's story called Pinocchio. This boy puppet longed to be free. So his shackles or his strings were cut off. And how many know the song that he began to sing? He began to sing, I've got no strings on me. 
I've got no strings to hold me down, to make me fret or to make me frown. I had strings, but now I'm free. There are no strings on me. Hi-ho, the merry-ho. That's the only way to go. I want the world to know nothing ever worries me. I've got no strings on me. See, on the outside, Pinocchio looked like a normal boy. He looked free, but on the inside, he was still shackled. Why? Because he rebelled against his creator, and he thought that he could find freedom among the dead. He found himself surrounded by the liars and the cheaters and, 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 and the no-gooders that he was surrounding himself with. See, Pinocchio wouldn't be totally free until he understood. It's not enough to have a few strings on the outside broken, but you got to get it right on the inside too. It's not enough to come shout for a few moments and go back to a dead place. But God's will is for you to leave this house today, not just with the chains broken on the outside, but the chains broken on the inside too. And you can leave saying, I've got no strings on me. Oh, the first step in the shackles being broken in your life is to make up your mind, I'm not going to live among the dead stuff. I'm walking out of that, that old way of life. I'm walking away from those that would prefer for me to stay shackled. I'm walking away from those that may be uncomfortable with me getting my life together. I don't want to be, I want to be unshackled on the inside and I want to be unshackled on the outside. Make up your mind, I'm going to get Really free. Really free. The citizens of Gadara tried to control this man with chains and fetters. His friends and family, they did the best they could, but no man could bind him with the fetters. No man can bind him with the chains. Why? Because you can't fix a spiritual problem with fleshly means. You can't fix the problem this man had with the arm of the flesh, with carnality or worldly things. Man's 12-step program can't replace God's 3-step program. I'm not against 12-step programs. They get people on the right track. They get them back going in the right direction. But you can't conquer those types of problems and addictions and chains by just using what man can give you. That 12-step program won't replace God's three-step program. Would you like to know what it is? I thought you'd never ask. Peter said, repent of your sins, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then you can walk out saying no more strings on me. I've got no strings on me. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was crying out and cutting himself with the stones. He was trying to find a release from the pain. I want you to pause for a moment and just think about this man and about the context in which Mark is telling the story. Recall just a little bit earlier about how the disciples had been with Jesus on the boat on the Sea of Galilee when that terrible storm rose up and threatened to destroy them.
They cried out to Jesus, and with a word, he commanded the winds and the waves to cease. Uh, he calmed the storm by demonstrating that he has power over the physical. He has power over the natural world. And in the aftermath of that miracle, the disciples are asking themselves, who is this? Uh, who can do such things? What manner of man is this? Uh, who can speak to the, to the storms of this life and bring peace uh, where chaos has reigned? Well, the demoniac, the demons were about to tell you exactly who Jesus is. Uh, because immediately after the storm, they landed on the east side of the Sea of Galilee and they encountered a different kind of storm. They had just went through a physical storm, a natural storm, but now they were, in, they were encountering a spiritual battle. They were going to do, they were going to see Jesus have battle with spirits. This was a, a battle that could only be won, won in the spirit. It was a horrible scene. Man has been, life has been devastated by evil forces. He's been outcast. He's been forgotten. He's been given up on and rejected. And he lives among the tombs, crying out in agony all day and all night. He's trying to counteract the pain in his heart and his mind by cutting himself uh, with stones. Uh, but then, much to the surprise uh, to everybody around him, these demonic forces, this legion, saw Jesus. Uh, and others may not have known who Jesus was, but you better believe that every spirit is subject to Jesus in the name of Jesus. These other people may not have truly known. Long before Peter had an understanding of who Jesus was, this demoniac spoke out through the legion and said, Jesus, the son of the most high God. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you. I solemnly appeal to you. Don't torment me. He was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus said, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him to earnestly not send them out of the country. But the first thing that you read when this man ran to Jesus, the Bible says that he fell on his feet, on his face, and he began to worship the Lord. And then the legion took over and began to speak and to begin to have a conversation with the Lord. Incredibly, under the forces of all, all the influence of all these evil forces, at least 2,000 demons inside of him this man fell down before the great I am as if in an attitude of a worship and that tormenting spirit begged to be left alone let me pause here for a moment and say sometimes I am amazed at some of the reasons that we can come up with or condone or excuse our lack of worship I've had a hard week my bank account is a little low I'm stressed out my friend did me wrong I'm just not in the mood you know when the next service rolls around I'll put on my dancing shoes then but this man had a legion a legion of evil spirits in him and he still managed to bend his knee and give God the glory I think this man proves uh, when you really want to worship the King of Kings uh, and when you really recognize that the great I am is in your midst uh, that there is nothing that can stop you. Uh, not 
not, not a bank account that's depleted, not a body that's been riddled with cancer, not a mind that is fighting depression. If you really want to praise Him, if you really want to thank Him, there's not a devil in hell that can keep you from saying, thank you, Jesus. I give you the glory. I worship you. doesn't matter. I'm not trying to belittle your excuses. I'm just telling you if anybody had a reason not to bend their knee and worship, this man did. That means we need to do a lot better job. You need to make up your mind you're going to be a worshiper. Nothing will keep you from clapping your hands, leaping for joy. Not a bad day, not a bad week, not a bad month, not a bad year. Nothing's going to keep me from leaping for joy. Nothing's going to keep me from dancing like David. Nothing's going to keep me from shouting hallelujah. Nothing's going to keep me from dancing in the spirit. All the devils in hell cannot stop a child of God from lifting their voice and giving God the glory. Can I tell you, don't we still believe that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? I got no strings on me so I can worship him. I can magnify him. This is an extremely important point. I'm getting close to being done here. You really need to get a hold of this last point. What I want you to see right here is, is when, this, when and how this man received his deliverance. This man received his deliverance when he was in an act of worship. He came and fell at the feet of the master. He was in an act of worship when God met his knee. I can't tell you how many people I've seen going through something, being stuck in the valley, and it just seemed like one bad thing after another. But in a moment of just pure worship to God, the scenery began to change and the page was turned. I can't tell you how many people were fighting giants, but they fell at his feet in worship, and every giant started falling like cordwood. I can't tell you how many people were back and spirits of oppression and depression and then they just got lost in an act of worship and every chain and every fetter was broken can I tell you almost every spiritual battle that I've won it has included me getting lost in an act of worship Every significant spiritual battle, even when, I'm our, even when I'm in my prayer closet, digging out what I need. It's when I break out in spontaneous worship, when deliverance and victory comes. This man fell down before the master in an act of worship. He fell down and worshiped in the natural realm. However, in the spirit realm, that unclean spirit was standing. It was standing in fear and it was trembling in the presence of the Lord. That man in the physical fell on his knees, but that spirit was still standing. And he cried out with a loud voice. Who cried out? Not the man, but the unclean spirit. Because Jesus addressed the unclean spirit. And he said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Understand, this is not the man speaking, but this is the unclean spirit spirit because the man is in a posture of worship he has found himself in a spiritual atmosphere that he hadn't been in in a long long time he's in the presence of Jesus he's in the presence of God and he's on his knees in an act of worship and that spirit that problem is now having a conversation with God there's a whole lot more that happens when you worship than you really realize 
Because while this man is worshiping, God is going behind the scenes and confronting your devils. He's confronting your devils. This is not the man speaking. This is the unclean spirit. Because the man is in worship and the spirit is speaking out. And the worship, it comes from that Hebrew word in this text, yada. And it means to extend your hands. Or barak, barak, which means to bless God or praise Him. It's kind of a violent exhortation. It's a sudden burst of praise or worship. This man was worshiping God and he had his problems face to face with Jesus. The Bible says he cried out with a loud voice and understood that was the unclean spirit. And now that unclean spirit is having a conversation with Jesus. All the while the man is still in a posture of worship. And that unclean spirit trembles at the name of Jesus. But in his presence, it understands that its time is up. And that change is about to take place. So the guy had never spoken, get rid of these spirits. He was just worshiping. But the spirit was trying to negotiate. Because the spirit understood something's bad's about to happen. And so the spirit begins to negotiate with Jesus because he realizes his time is up. So it says to Jesus, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? That unclean spirit, that thing that was controlling that man had to acknowledge who Jesus was. He had to acknowledge the problem in his life. The devil he was fighting when he began to worship had to acknowledge that Jesus was there. He had to acknowledge that thou art Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. In that ninth verse, he said, what is your name? And this is Jesus talking to the unclean spirit. And that, uh, and that spirit that was controlling the man. He began to speak. Because it seems that when he fell to his knees and on his face to begin to worship, it seems that he began to break control of that unclean spirit. That spirit that had him. So when he began to worship Jesus, that unclean spirit is left standing face to face with Jesus. He's on his knees. The spirit's still standing. But now the spirit is face to face with Jesus. This needs to change your perception of, pow of the power of worship. That it's not just form. It's not just fashion. It's not just something we come together to get an emotional high on. You need to understand that when we are in worship, when this man was in worship, Jesus was dealing with the spirit that was controlling his life. So there's more that goes on when we worship than we really, really realize. When you worship God, even if it takes the last bit of energy, even if it takes the last bit of sanity that you have, you are bringing your problems, you are bringing your tormentors face to face with God. I don't think you heard me. When this man fell on his knees to worship, he was on his knees. But Jesus was face to face with what was troubling when you begin to worship. When you begin to give God the glory, you're dragging every problem you have to the very face of God. You may not be aware while you're dancing or while you're running or while you're on your face, but your devils and the giants and the addictions and all of those other things are face to face with God. When you worship your addiction,
addictions, your failures, your giants, your abusers have to look God in the eye. And they know their time is up. They know that change is coming. They know the landlord has come home and they're about to get evicted. Oh, the enemy doesn't want you to hear what I'm about to say. While you're worshiping, God is working. While you are worshiping, God is working. When he was in worship, Jesus cast out the unclean spirit. When he was in worship, Jesus changed his life. When he was in worship, Jesus fixed it. When he was in worship, Jesus restored his right mind. When he was in worship, Jesus got him clothed. When he was in worship, Jesus turned his life around. When he was in worship, deliverance came. When he was in worship, he got a new lease on life. When he was in worship, he got a peace that he only dreamed about. When he was in worship, joy was restored. When he was in worship, Jesus worked it out. He worked it all out. When you begin to worship God, there is so much more that's happening behind the scenes. Your worship is so much more powerful than the enemy. You just think that, well, I just need to show that I'm being a part. I just need to put my hands together to let everybody know that I love Jesus. There's so much more to it than that. You fight spiritual battles when you get your hands in the air. When you begin to lift your voice, you're dragging every problem face to face with God so why is praise our last resort why is it always the hardest to get our hands up when we've been hit the hardest when our life is unraveled when we suffered loss when we're hurting when we're undone when we're broken when we're bruised when the barbed edges of life are pushing in why do we find it harder to worship it's because what can help us the most is always going to be a little hard. And, and, and worship is going to help you more than anything. When you begin to worship, things begin to happen. You drag your problems face to face with God. But when you begin to worship, like in the Old Testament, when they went to claim their land, they looked at Judah and said, let's send up Judah. And the brother looked at Judah and said, if you'll go fight with me to get my land, then I'll go fight with you. Why they want to send up Judah? Because Judas was symbolic of the people of praise. And when you send up praise, there's not a whole lot left to do after that. You just got to go, you just got to go clean up the spoils. You just got to go clean up what, what is left. So they wanted to send praise before. When you come and worship today, your praise is going before you. Praise gives you a different perspective. Praise elevates you. It gets you to see things from heaven's point of view. Can I get an amen? And if you're not a praiser, and if you're always dwelling down here, you're going to face every giant. We all have giants during the week. We'll have problems during the week. But if you're not letting your praise go before, you're going to get tripped up by every little giant. You're going to be aware of every little giant. I told you before, I prayed for a lady in a revival, and I was going to pray for her the first night, but I didn't. I felt a little checked, and by the third night, she, she just broke loose, was dancing and shouting everywhere. And I turned around and I said, Lord, she got, she's getting victory over something right now. And the Lord spoke into my spirit and said, said, Sean, she's not just getting victory over something that has happened. She's getting victory over something that's going to happen. Yeah. 
See, your praise goes before you, and praise can take care of things, so you don't have to always take care of it. So next week, there would have been some giants that would have tripped her up, but she sent praise before her, and she wasn't even aware they were even there because praise got her in a level that she wasn't even aware of what was going on. If you're, if you're fighting every devil every day, then you need to praise him. You need to send Judah up because Judah will go before you. Judah will go before you. You can stay standing. I, 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 I'm, a quarter, I'm a quarter done. Everybody stand. I'm a quarter done. It's time, to, it's time to quit. We don't know the, ex, we don't know the exact number, but it was somewhere between 2,000 and 6,000. They knew that the Lord could destroy them with a word. They understood what Mark wanted them to understand. This is the purpose of the passage. There's nothing in the physical. He calmed the storm, the physical storm, and then he calmed the spiritual storm. Mark is just wanting us to know. He wanting every reader to know that there's nothing out of the realm of God. He controls the physical and he controls the spiritual. He can, can, he can control the physical storms in your life and he can control the spiritual storms in your life. The Lord wants to unshackle somebody here today. You may have had chains broken, the fetters may have been snapped, but you're still wandering in dead places. You need to make up your mind today that I'm just not going to walk around with strings attached to me, but I'm going to shake them off. And when I leave today, I'm going to be able to say I have no strings. I have no strings on me. When they saw that man, they were scared to death. After he got delivered, was in his right mind. The Bible says they were afraid. They were scared to death. They got used to living with him when he was all messed up. Bad Joe, they were okay with. But clean Joe, they were like, I don't know, that's pretty spooky. The fact that he's walking through the tombs and howling like the devil. I don't know if the devil howls, but it sounded good anyway, right? Howling and the chains. They were afraid of him. They were scared of him. But then when he's in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus, they were really afraid. I'm, I'm always shocked about the lack of support or happiness that sometimes friends and family will have somebody when they get their life right with Jesus. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. These people were basically saying... I liked you better when you were bound. I liked you better when, when you were doing bad. I could understand that, but I don't understand how God simply turned everything around. I've seen drug addicts get clean and their family disown them because they went to an apostolic church. They'd rather form to be lost in a crack house or overdeed on heroin than to be in an apostolic church. Does that make any sense? I've seen people quit lying and stealing. God turns their life around. Come into the church. Start living holy. And friends and family say, you're a freak. Oh, I wasn't a freak when I was stealing from you. I wasn't wrong when I was doing this and that. They can handle that, but they can't handle someone trying to live right. 
They can't handle someone trying to be, trying to just, just trying to live holy under the Lord. It just, it's, it's as if they, they would rather for you to stay in your problems. I know you don't do drugs anymore, but why do you want to go to that holiness church? I know you're not breaking promises anymore. I know you're not stealing. You're not sleeping around. You're not drinking. But to be honest, I'd rather for you to do that than to be a part of that church. I've heard it, folks. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But you know what? That man didn't care. He didn't care what his friends and his family, because the Bible says he went everywhere in the countryside and told people what God had done for him. He didn't care if his neighbors didn't approve of his new life. know why many that are even here today kept living for God while the closest to them. Some of y'all heard exactly what I'm telling you. I don't want you going to that one God church. I don't want you being apostolic. I don't want your tongue talking. I don't want you going to a holiness church. You know how they're still living for God? You know how they made it? It's because I'm sorry with all due respect you don't know like I know what he's done for me. He's broke every chain. I've got no strings on me. You weren't the one crying yourself to sleep at night. You weren't the one that thought about giving up and letting it all go. You weren't the one being crushed by the weight of guilt. But then God said, I can fix it. I can break every chain. I'll call you out of darkness into my marvelous light. He transformed my life. I've got no strings. Here's what I want us to do. When that man began to worship, whatever the ailment was, whatever he needed God to take care of, got face to face. He fell down and worshiped, and that spirit looked at the Lord, and the Lord dealt with it. I know we can turn our aisle, and I know we're still trying to get comfortable coming down. But as many as possible, let's social distance, and let's get as many as we can down here. Because we need to turn this place for the next few moments into a house of worship. Because you're going to drag those giants that have been tormenting you. You're going to drag them out where God can deal with them when you begin to worship. You can do it right there in your pew. Whatever's been ailing you.